First John chapter five. Uh, I better turn there as well. Oh, this is beautiful. This is such a beautiful passage. Um, we're gonna we're gonna just make it five verses in to the last chapter of First John. Um, 1 John 5, verse 1, says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, Jesus, we believe. We believe that you are the Son of God. We rejoice that you have given us faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We rejoice that you've given us the right to become children of God. Um, That that we've... uh, come to you now not as just enemies that though we were not just as strangers though we were but as as born again children of God we rejoice in this we thank you that you have made us overcomers uh, we we thank you that you've declared your love towards us in Christ and even in, in the testimonies of those that you've saved bless your church today with this word um, let your inspired word have its full effect in your redeemed people Jesus' name, Amen. 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 This is this is great. Um, hey, if this is your first time, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I know we got some some people that I got to meet for the first time, which is great. Um, we've been in First John for a little while. Last week, I guess I said it was ten weeks, but it was really eleven. But it's like around ten. Um, and so I think this means this is the twelfth message in in First John. We're we're almost done. But if you missed if you missed the rest of it. This is a great week to show up um, because John has been repeating himself over and over and over <laughs> with the main points. So you've got you've, you're you're getting the same stuff that we've we've got for the last you know eleven weeks. Um, this is beautiful, simple, uh, entry level Christianity stuff. Okay, believe in Jesus, be born again. God loves you. Amen. Love each other, Amen. and then at the end there you are. An overcomer, or you are victorious. What beautiful, simple Christian truths are presented to us here in 1 John 5. None of this is super academic. Uh, we don't need graphs and charts and explanation of prophetic timetables or no weird numerology you've got to wade into. You don't have to deal with any of that stuff for the, to get the meat of this passage. It's believe in Jesus. Kindergarten level stuff, and it feeds the soul. This isn't something you'll ever grow out of. Every time you return to worship, to return your worship and your attention to Christ, you are believing in him in a new and fresh way. Be born again. This is happening. This, sorry, this happened the first time you placed your faith in Christ, of course. There was new birth. But the joy of new birth, new beginnings, should never be abandoned. Realizing that you are still a child of God 
of a God who loves you. That's not something that you see mature believers move on from, right? And they just kind of leave that behind. And then, yeah, when I was a younger Christian, I really thought about how much God loves me, but now I'm beyond all that. Like you never hear that from the seasoned saints of God that you want to be like when you grow up. Um, it's not something that mature Christians move on from. It's something that mature Christians fall deeper into. The simple truth, God loves you, so love one another. Once again, it doesn't need special explanation here. If God, your Father, loves you and your brothers and sisters so much, it makes sense that you would love the rest of his family. These are simple things. Uh, believing in Jesus, loving your family. These are the commandments that John says, they're not burdensome. They're not, uh, and, and not only are they not a burden that weighs you down, but walking in this kind of love and faith with your family actually strengthens you to walk victoriously in the world. In other words, not only does it sap your strength, it's a burden and it's exhausting. Loving one another, receiving the love of God, believing in Jesus empowers you. It gives you more strength to be an overcomer in this world. Now, there's nothing new in these verses in 1 John. It's all stuff John has already written. The repetitive nature of 1 John and all John's writings really should be really apparent now, really obvious. We're dealing with the themes that can be traced throughout this book and his gospel that we studied before we were in 1 John. And this is good for us. You know, we, we sang the line in that song today, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. <laughs> yeah, it is. We need that. It is healthy. You know, we, we think we need a new word. Right? We think we need a new word, a new revelation. We like the verse in Isaiah 43, verse 29, where God says, Behold, I will do a new thing. And we're like, sweet, a new thing. And then we spend a whole lot less time on verses like Jeremiah 6, verse 16, which says, Seek the old paths. Those ones work. That's not actually what the verse says, that last phrase. That was a Talmonian paraphrase. Uh, we, we think we want a brand new revelation in the, this year's co color right? A new word from the Lord. But, but what we actually need, more often than not, is the same truths impressed deeper and deeper on our hearts over and over and over again. Like the truth that saved you, that brought you from darkness into life, that made you a child of God, you can see how effective that truth was. Well, if it worked then, go back to the thing that works. As Jesus says, you know, re uh, he rebukes really the church in Ephesus, you left your first love. We need to return to the first things. The theme that we see repeated in these five chapters in 1 John and in John's other writings is the simple theme of love. And, and in this little passage, there's three kinds of love, or really three directions of love. We have God's love for us that causes us to be born again. We have our love for the Father. And then we have the horizontal love, the love for his family, the love for each other. Let's start right in here with the first thing we read in verse 1. Verse 1, again, you can glance at it. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. This is where we see God's love for us. It is here that we must start any conversation about love. God loves you. 
I think we've mentioned this in our study before, but this simple message, God loves you, must be what we communicate to the world. And we know there's more. There's more to say. There's more to the gospel than just these three words because you have to see who God is. You, you have to define love, and then you see it in the cross, and there's ways of explaining this simple message. But the gospel cannot be communicated without these words. God loves you. And you may not have noticed the word love there in the first part of verse one that we read, but you have to follow John's line of thought and see how he got there. So back in chapter three, in chapter three, verse one, uh, he said, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. It says, when you think of being a child of God, that should make you see the love of the father and when you think about the love of the father the conclusion you will draw is wow he has made me a child of god these things are connected for john being a child of god being born again is is to be loved that's what it is it's to be loved to behold is to look at something right give it your focus your full attention and when john when john wants you to look at love he asks you to look at the new birth it's kind of an interesting point to compare John and Paul here and really wonder how they would have got along. Both preaching the same gospel, of course, but preaching it from different angles. Paul is very, very cross-focused, um, as we should be. He says, God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to look and see God's love in action, you look at the cross. There, you cannot disconnect these two concepts, love and, and crucifixion. John was there at the cross. We know that he would agree. But he also directs our gaze somewhere else when we think about love. He says, yes, look at the cross, but also look at the Christian. Look at the, look at the testimonies in your church. You want to see what God has done for you? Look at the family he's brought you into. Look at what he saved you from and where he's brought you. Consider what God has done for you in allowing you to be called a child of God. The love of God is shown to us in this. He calls you his child. And as we've read in Romans and Galatians, we've had a lot of cross-references from those books. The Holy Spirit has been given to you to make your heart cry out to God, Father. You calling God your Father is evidence of God putting his spirit in your heart. Now, back in chapter 5, it says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. If you believe, you will be born again. This is a point that is very cleanly lifted from John's other bestseller, John, chapter 3, right? Jesus and Nicodemus speaking together at night. Jesus tells him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this causes confusion, of course, which leads Jesus into a discussion of the new birth, a spiritual birth. And eventually, he comes to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You must be born again, and whoever believes has eternal life. The explanation of these concepts is here in 1 John 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. To be born again you must believe. To believe in Jesus is to be born again, to receive new life. This is what John teaches. And it's what we see in uh, the book of Acts 2 in the, at the birth of the church. We, we read of the convicted sinner asking, what must I do to be saved? And the answer comes, 
quickly and clearly in Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now the word saved, uh, that's like, you know, level one primo Christianese sometimes, right? Uh, you, it can feel like a loaded term to some. Um, and then you have to see that it is a lot more than just being given a get out of hell free card. The, the word salvation is, is deep and wide. Uh, the word salvation should bring with it the idea of healing and justice and peace and wholeness forever. There's this idea of health and cleansing, which matches what we see in Jesus, who healed people right and left, declaring to them the kingdom of God. So it's no surprise that we see John here include in salvation this idea of being welcomed into a family. It's like, you're saved. It's like, great, I have a ticket. No, that's not the same thing. Like having a ticket and then traveling to visit your whole family are very different things, you know? And salvation, being saved, is more than just having the ticket to heaven. It's being brought into the family that you are a part of. We know that we've been saved from sin, hell, death, the powers of Satan, the curse of Adam, all of that. And we've talked about some of that in 1 John. But what are we saved to? We're saved to a family. We're saved to a belonging. We're saved from isolation into relationship, from the position of orphan to a position of beloved son and daughter. And the writer of Hebrews says he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, through Jesus. Uh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, would often say he saves from the guttermost to the uttermost, right? The, the least of these to all the way to heaven. And, and, and for John, that saving to the uttermost looks like becoming a child of God. To be born of God, that's not just a change that takes place in you as an isolated individual. No one gives birth to themselves. Don't overthink that picture. To be born of God is to become a child of God and a new creation and have a new father and have new brothers and sisters. This idea that God is a father to you, and of course it implied there is that he's a father to each one of us individually. This was revolutionary when it was first believed and should be revolutionary now. God is revealed as a father in the Old Testament. But he was always a father specifically to Israel as a nation. He was a father to collective Israel. Okay? He spoke about Israel as his son. And many of these kinds of uh, statements are fulfilled in Christ who succeeded in everything where Israel failed. But it was not a common thing for a Jew in the first century or before to consider God as their personal father. Certainly they wouldn't call them Abba. And we, we know from Scripture that this was not normal. Jesus is killed because he made himself equal with God, saying that God was his Father. Um, I'll, I'll read John 5, verse 18. It says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Now Israel collectively always saw God as their Father. Okay? And they would read passages in their prophets saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. And it's like, oh, yep, that's, that's the Exodus. That's all of Egypt leaving. And then an apostle named Matthew comes along and says, nope, that was never about Israel. That was about Jesus. Jesus, when he went, Joseph took him down to Egypt to escape murder and then brought him back up after a few years after Herod died. That was about Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. Now, calling God your father simply wasn't done then. The Psalms, they, they addressed... 
uh, a God in, in many different ways, and many of them are heartfelt to the point of melodrama even, you know? Uh, David was emotional. Um, but So he, he's, he uses metaphor freely, and God is addressed as, you know, my rock, he is called the mighty one, he is called my king, and never in the 150 Psalms does one pray, uh, one, one praying address God as my father personally. He is called a father to the fatherless, collectively. And then a prophetic portion of Psalm 89, it speaks of one who would be the highest king on earth, who would inherit an everlasting covenant, who would be the son of David. And of him, it says, he shall cry to me, you are my father. That's the only reference of someone calling God dad. It's about Jesus, it's a prophecy about Jesus. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says, God is my father. And they, they kill him for it. They literally kill him for it. And it's obvious that Jesus was talking about a special relationship. He wasn't talking about God just being father of all creation or something like that. It's like we're all God's children in one way or another. He wasn't talking about God as the father of the covenant people, though he is. These things are true in a sense. He's talking about something special as a begotten son, as one who is born of the father. And when the disciples are getting to know Jesus and learning about just how unique he is, how special this man from Nazareth is, and they ask questions like, who can this be that the wind and the waves obey him? You know, they ask Jesus one specific thing. They say, teach us to pray. Because it was obvious to them that the connection with this very special ministry it, to prayer, it was just clear. It had to be rooted in prayer. And Jesus prayed a different way than everybody else. You know, Jesus didn't pray like they were used to praying in church. And then Jesus says, okay, I'll teach you to pray. When you pray, pray like this. Say it with me. Our Father. Father. Our Father. He tells them our Father who are in heaven. He says, you need to pray to God like he's your Father too. And you have to wonder how uncomfortable that must have felt for some of the apostles. I mean, maybe it's been uncomfortable for some of you. Earth, earthly relationships are what we have sometimes to frame heavenly ones, and this is God's intention. He gives us mothers to show us that he is like a mother to us. He gives us fathers to teach us that he is a father to us. We get friends and siblings so that we can have a framework for understanding Jesus as the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Uh, we grow and we fall in love and get a glimpse of the mystery of Christ and the church and we have children and begin to understand the horrors of the verse he gave his only begotten son. Relationships are there to teach us about God, but not every relationship is a good one. And it's possible that addressing God as a father is uncomfortable because of something uncomfortable with your relationship with your earthly father, but that does not need to be an obstacle by any means. By saying you've been born again, by saying that you've been born of God, you have the privilege now of having a father that you can be proud of. Amen. For the disciples, the discomfort in addressing God as father, if any, would have simply been the pressure of their culture's understanding of God. We read in John chapter 5 that they wanted to kill Jesus because he called God father. And then Jesus turns to these guys and says, you do it too. And they're like, I don't know. Were any of them brave enough to do the same at this time? I don't know. The only way we can truly follow in the words of Hebrews, you know, come boldly before the throne of grace to receive help in time of need, is if we realize it is our Father who's sitting on that throne. Realizing God is your Father is something that we grow in and continue to learn throughout our Christian walk. And the more you come to realize that God wants to be known as your Father, the more you'll, 
you'll also realize your place in his family. Um, that is, the more you'll realize your place with his other kids. Second half of verse 1, it says, And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. Now, there's a couple ways to read this, aren't there? John likes his textures. He likes layers. Uh, you could read it to mean, if you love the Father, you'll love the Son. Because Jesus is the only Son. He's the only begotten Son of the Father, right? That's certainly true. It fits very nicely with all the things Jesus had said in the Gospel of John. That's great. Uh, but this is talking about the new birth, the one who is born of God by believing in Jesus, not the one who is Jesus. So what John is probably saying here is that if you love the new birth, man, you're going to love the other people who've experienced the new birth. If you've been born again, you're going to love the other people who have been born again. Loving the Father brings you to love the rest of the family. Loving your brothers and sisters in Christ is an act of loving the Father himself. Now ask yourself, would you be hanging out with these particular people if you didn't have Jesus in common? Well, probably not this morning, not Sunday at 10.30. You know, maybe, some of, maybe some of them you could be friends with, but not all of them. There's no other thing where all of us would be gathered at the same time in the same place for one thing we're all interested in, except Jesus. That's it. Uh, each local expression of the church, each lo local congregation is proof of family. Proof that there is a family tie that supersedes other preferences, hobbies, likes, dislikes, generations, every other division that you could come, come to you know, try and draw a line between people. Jesus breaks down that dividing wall of hostility too. And we are united as a church. Now when we gather together, when we gather to worship, we worship God. Now, you can know and worship God in your car by yourself, taking a walk, whatever, but that does not replace this kind of family gathering, does it? Why? Because, you know, we're all quick to say, well, I don't need another person in order to worship Jesus. This is my personal relationship with Jesus. Like, that's what we talk about, personal relationship with Jesus. It's almost true. If you see worship only as personal prayer, personal quiet time, etc., but there's more to worship than that. There's more to worship than that. Do you, do you know how to really and truly bless a father's heart you care for his kids that blesses a father's heart more than any one-on-one -on -one time with you <laughs> that that father could experience a parent is blessed when they see other people truly care and love their children it's hard not to appreciate the people who really appreciate your kids and of course on the flip side of that there's there's an equal truth there's no one that aggravates you more than the person who is unkind towards your children. Like, that's a line, right? If someone is rude or careless or worse to your children, they are the enemy, right? And so while it might be easy to assume, well, I don't need anyone else to worship God. Like, I don't need to, I don't need to do that. You're forgetting that God has a big family that he brought you into. It's not like it's God has the church and then you. And you guys have a personal relationship. Like, that's not what he did to you when he saved you. He brought you into his family. Nothing pleases him more than when his family is loved. You do need other people in order to worship. Just in the same way that you need other people in order to serve. Like, if you're called to serve, you can't just be by yourself serving who? You? Like... <laughs> 
You need other people in order to worship because part of your worship is serving people. Part of loving God is loving his children. It is so important to see this. It's so important to see yourself as a member of a family. You've been brought into a family and the thing you have in common with your brothers and sisters is your father. You all have the same dad. And because we are given a new life, we're actually born again. We have these dual truths of adoption and new birth. We've all been adopted in, yes, but we've been born again. So we, we have a sort of spiritual DNA in common also. Each one of you is made in the image of your father. Each one of us is being shaped more and more into his image. And all of us together are growing up, becoming more like our father. This idea of a new nature is very helpful because some of you, when you read that, if you love the father, you'll love other people who call him father. And we've read this in John before, right? When you say, if you don't love your brother, the love of God isn't even in you. Like, you're just a liar. You know, we've read those hard statements. And, and some of us, when we come to the, those kinds of verses, we're thinking like, I don't really love those people. Well, if you don't have love for other Christians, borrow some. <laughs> the, fa the Father has enough love to go around. And Romans says, like I mentioned before, that he, he pours that love out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is very good news because what this means is that you do, not only do you just get a new father and a new family, you get a new nature and a new supply of love, the love that you're called to show. You are not expected to produce and manufacture an artificial synthetic love I love these people. You know, that is not what you are called to do. You're called to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that will display itself in actual love for God's family. He gives you a new nature, your father's nature. You will come to like things your God likes. You come to hate things that he hates. And as a Christian who is coming into a family resemblance with your father and growing into that image, you're going to actually want to please him. And in verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, the commandments of God, which I'll remind you once more, according to John, are loving each other and believing in Jesus.